Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. We are underway with Smart Gardens, brought to you by our friends at By the Yard. Mary Meyer is in. A pleasure to visit with Mary. Denny doesn't take a lot of time off. He will be back in a couple of weeks. He's on a good neighbor tour. Uh, so Denny will return, but it's a pleasure to see Mary again. So much to talk about. This, this is prime time in the garden, for it sure. It is prime time in the garden. People uh, can do uh, so much with their vegetable gardens, their flower gardens as well. Roses are blooming. Uh, yes, peak time at the garden. And Cool weather conditions. If you've got some big project outside, this is the time to do it. You will not get overheated this weekend, I don't think. Yeah, it's but nice it's and cool. Nice and cool, yes. Uh, beautiful time to work outside. And we always get a lot of calls. Here are the phone numbers, 651-989-9226. Or you can text 81807. That is 81807. I love the yard, love the garden. I could fill the entire hour with questions I have for Mary, but it's not about me. It's about your uh, calls and texts as well. Once again, 651-989-9226, or you can text 81807. Uh, One thing I do know, uh, tomatoes would like it a little warmer. Than it is yes, right now. tomatoes, <laughs> tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, uh, squashes, those are kind of the more tropical plants. They do like warm conditions, so they grow better when it's warm. The cool weather, that's what cabbages, beets, lettuce, uh, kale, things like that, they like cooler conditions. But yes, um, tomatoes would like warm weather. We've had, we've had great growing conditions so far, lots of rain and uh, sunshine, good uh, many days of sunshine, so that's good for our vegetables. One of the things I wanted to bring up right out of the gate before we go to the text line and the phone line here on Smart Gardens this morning is insect control, because I know on a cool night there, there were a ton of insects swarming around the nights uh, the lights in the yard last night trying to stay warm, I would assume. Um, but you got to wonder about insects in our gardens and what do you recommend? Right. I, I have a particular problem with zucchini, and the insects get at the roots and the stems and yeah, kind of kill squash, all of them. The squash vine borer is yeah. a big problem for zucchini. Uh, one way you can avoid that is plant your zucchini a little bit later in the season. So actually, if you plant it about now towards the end of June, you miss the first wave, which is the main uh, wave of the squash vine borer. So it will hit the in- it will hit the plant, uh, lays its eggs there at the base of the plant, and then uh, the worm itself develops in the in the stem. So it's very problematic. But you can avoid it by planting 
uh, squash a little bit later than we normally do. If it's already in the ground, is there anything you can do at this point in time, or is you, it just too the much? best thing to do? Is just watch very closely for it. You can see that frass or uh, debris coming out of the stem when the uh, borer is starting to grow in there. If you're very careful, you can actually take a piece of wire or a knife and carefully slit a small amount of the stem and actually pull the worm out of the stem itself and then put soil up over the uh, stem. So you can, if you're very careful, sometimes take that out. But many times we can't see that squash vine borer until it's done damage. The vine starts to wilt, and at that point uh, it's too late. All right. So early detection. Is so you good. you can maybe sneak out and get a deal right now at a garden <laughs> center as they're closing out. And yes, grab and one of those. replant zucchini. Yes, or plant the seeds now. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. Very good. Let's throw out those numbers again. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. You can text eight one eight zero seven. That is eight one eight zero seven. From our text line. How do I increase my lily of the valley bed without disturbing their root system? Lily of the valley is a really tough ground cover. It's one of the most aggressive ground covers. And usually we get the opposite question. How can I control it because it's so aggressive and growing everywhere? If you want to increase it, you do need to dig it up and and pull the roots apart. You'll be able to see the roots and those rhizomes there. And um, you can transplant that almost any time. It's such a tough uh, ground cover. Uh, is is it a is it a tough thing like a hosta where you can pretty much dig those up and split yeah, those? Yeah, it's it's a it it is uh, the same level of toughness, but the roots look qu- quite different. Oh. So hosta is more in a bunch with the big roots like our fingers intertwined. Uh, Lily of the Valley is much more spread out, and it does tend to be uh, trailing, and it, you might think you don't have very much, but you don't need very much for Lily of the Valley. If you have an inch of the root system and you put it in moist soil, it will uh, come for you. Um, with with uh, the peak of the growing season right now, so is the peak of the weed growing season, what, what do you say about uh, using grass clippings around a vegetable uh, or vegetables in a garden? That's a great idea unless you've used a herbicide. So if you have a herbicide, a weed killer that you use to kill dandelions or creeping charlie, chickweed, any of our common lawn weeds, if you've put a herbicide all over your grass, it will kill the weeds, but the grass takes it up. So that herbicide is contained in the grass clippings. When you put that those clippings around tomatoes and vegetable plants, um, that can cause damage because the herbicide is still in the clipping. So if you have not used a herbicide, grass clippings are a wonderful form of nitrogen. And if um, that's usually we recommend leave them on your lawn because they add nutrients. They add that nitrogen back to the lawn. If you do bag them and haven't used a herbicide, they are a good source of uh, mulch and organic matter and nitrogen for other plants. What about wood chip mulch around vegetables in a garden? Is is that okay? That's okay. You can do that. Uh, we used to talk a lot about wood chips requiring additional nitrogen because the bacteria that break down wood chips will often deplete the soil of nitrogen. So we talk about adding extra nitrogen fertilizer when you have wood chips uh, applied. Um, 
that's it, that is a good practice. We don't always see the need for extra nitrogen, but yeah, the community garden where I garden, they use a wood chip mulch in the paths. Most years they have a big pile of wood chip mulch that that uh, we can use uh, in between the rows of our plants. Um, here's another one from the text line. Usually my strawberries are fairly large. This year, not so much. What could be going on? It could be that it's time for renovation in your strawberry bed. Uh, strawberries are pretty um, high intensity of work. All the fruits really are. Um, and strawberries do uh, benefit from renovation of the bed. Uh, they'll only produce well with a mother plant for a couple of years, and then you have to uh, select new plants and renovate and uh, make sure you're really on top of the weeds. So I assume the, pl- the plot has done well before. It's in full sun, good, well-drained conditions. If that's the case, um, it's a good idea to look up uh, strawberry bed renovation. So we have all this information on our extension.umn.edu website. All right. Click uh, on garden. Yeah. Um, here, here's one other before we go to the phone lines, and we promise we'll go there in a moment. Uh, what would be the best way to get rid of weeds in my asparagus patch? I'm oh. jealous I have asparagus. <laughs> oh, I'd love to have an asparagus patch. Uh, could I cut them down uh, sometime this fall or late summer? What, what should I do? Yeah, weeds in asparagus patch. This is a tough situation because you have a perennial vegetable. This isn't a vegetable that you just grow one year and then you can uh, kill everything in the weeds would get killed then. Um, I You just have to do careful hand weeding if you can. Uh, Roundup that kills everything. Maybe you can go in and carefully put Roundup on where the weeds are. But, of course, if you hit the asparagus, that will die also. So it's really difficult. I, in this case, I would say you have to evaluate whether or not you have a have more asparagus than you do weeds. If you've got 50-50, you might consider um, renovating or starting a new asparagus patch in a place that is weed-free. Quack grass is a notorious grassy weed that's very, very difficult to control in an asparagus patch. All right. What are ideal conditions for getting asparagus started, because I'd love to have asparagus somewhere. Yeah, it, it actually is not too difficult. And you can have an asparagus patch that lasts for 15, even 20 years. So you need need well-drained soil in full sun conditions where there isn't uh, or hasn't been uh, quack grass or big weed problems before. If you have weed problems but you've got full sun, then you should kill everything that's there with glyphosate or Roundup, some complete weed control, and when that is completely, area is completely dead, then you can plant the asparagus. So asparagus takes a couple of years before it will start to bear fully. And it's grown in a deep trench system so that you plant it deep and then gradually fill it in so that the root system is. You start with a fairly low. It ends up uh, getting higher, but it's uh, a trench method of planting originally. It's not too difficult. The big problem is what this uh, texter has mentioned. It's weeds. Mm. Oh, Of course, it is uh, Smart Gardens. And, of course, joining us today in studio 
is Mary Meyer here on CCO. Let's take a break. We promise we'll come back with calls. Here's who's waiting. We've got Pete, Dennis, and Bob awaiting to visit with Mary here on CCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Thanks so much for joining us. 823 on a Saturday morning. Smart Gardens with the experts from the University of Minnesota Extension Service. Mary Meyer in today and of course we'll have that website as we move through the program such an amazing resource why why don't we do it right now what is that website extension.umn.edu and click on garden you'll find what insect is this uh, a disease diagnostic guide to go through depending on what plants you have lots of great resources all right let's go to the phones right now let's bring in pete in roseville pete you've been waiting a while good morning Good morning. Um, first, a quick shout out to you, Steve. You and Eric are the most uh, knowledgeable commenters on sports. I, I believe in uh, the area. I love listening to your your sports shows. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Mary. A uh, couple of quick questions, and I'll hang up and listen. Number one, and I'm sure it's been addressed before. Um, coffee grounds. Uh, is there benefits to spreading those down? And number two, is it too late to plant something like peppers? Okay, the benefits of coffee grounds. So coffee grounds are a type of organic matter. And yes, that's fine to add to soil. Usually when we're putting these out on a vegetable garden, um, it, it's it's kind of like a... a a drop in the ocean because we usually are not adding that much volume-wise. But uh, depending on the size of your garden and how much you're putting on, it's fine. They are a good source uh, of organic matter. Not so much uh, nutrients, but organic matter. And then is it too late to plant peppers? Well, uh, we're get, we're getting to the uh, usually around the first of July. It gets to be too late, so we're really right on the edge. I would say, why not? Uh, why not try it? We have had longer and longer growing seasons in the fall, and that really is the determining factor: the warmth of the weather in September. So, some of the previous years, we've had enough um, warm conditions. Because, again, peppers are a tropical. They like the warm conditions. I would try it, yes, if you can do it as soon as possible. This weekend. This weekend might be the cutoff for some of the uh, vegetables that, that do take most of our growing season. And there are great deals at the garden centers right now. There are great deals. Yes, you can still find uh, many plants to put in. And sometimes if you get these certain plants, peppers, tomatoes for sure, will be larger plants already in a container. They've been sitting outside in the garden center, so they are a little bit more conditioned than coming right out of the greenhouse uh, with cool uh, conditions in early spring. All right, let's go to Dennis and Vadness Heights. Dennis, you're on the air with Mary. Hi, Dennis. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Good. Uh, I've got a question. I've got a a few perennials in my vegetable garden, and this is the first year in about 12 years since we've had them. I've got a small, oh, maybe a one-inch long white worm that is totally eating the leaves off of them. And I don't know what it is, and I'm not sure what to use to to deal with it. 
Good question, Dennis. A one-inch white worm eating the leaves off. I'm not sure if it's the vegetables or the perennials. So it's the perennials, uh, and I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. My wife got the perennial from someone years ago, and it's been doing just fine. It thrives. Uh, yeah. But uh, all of a sudden this year, uh, the leaves are pretty much all gone, and there's a lot of white worms on there. I'm not sure what they are or what uh, what to use for them. Well, uh, the the most important thing is that you can identify the worm and then identify the perennial that they are on. Uh, if you send a picture of the worm, and, and if you know the name of the perennial, that will help as well. But a picture of the insect to identify it, you can go to the website uh, that I mentioned, extension.umn.edu, click on Garden, and what insect is this? You can see if you can locate it there. So a worm is a caterpillar uh of a butterfly or a uh, moth. And sometimes these are desirable uh, pollinators that we see eating them. Uh, The swallowtail butterfly that loves to feed on parsley and so on is not a white worm. It's a big striped, uh, more like a tiger, tiger swallowtail because the the, uh, caterpillar has a tiger striping on it. Those are desirable pollinator insects. We don't like to kill the larva because, of course, that becomes the um, adult butterfly. So in your case, it's really a case of figuring out what is the insect. A white worm, the fact that it's white, makes me think more that it might be a moth, but I'm really just guessing at what it is. You need really to have the uh, insect identified. So you can try to do it yourself. You can send a picture to our online resources, Ask a Master Gardener, and identify uh, what the insect is. All right, let's go to Bob. Bob from Downing, Wisconsin. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Now we have two new apple trees, and they got little yellow spots on the leaves on one apple tree. Yes, there are many um, uh, diseases that get on apple trees. There's uh, cedar apple rusp. There's apple scab. Those uh, diseases start this time of year. Um, They are not fatal, but they certainly can affect the health of your tree and will affect how the apples themselves look. So the... Uh, recommendations for apples for homeowners are preventative pesticide sprays that are on a regular basis. Uh, if you don't want to use uh, pesticides, uh, there are some um, non-pesticide controls for insects where you put out uh, traps and you bag your uh, apples to prevent insects from getting on. But the spots you describe are disease uh, issues that are done. So those are controlled with preventative fungicide sprays. They may not be uh, sufficient to warrant a pesticide spray at this point. So, uh, again, I would encourage you to read the recommendations on the home fruit pest control at extension.umn.edu. Um, there are two new trees. I, I've got some apple trees, and I don't use pesticide sprays. I use uh, preventative um, uh, other biological controls or I try to trap the insects. The insects are more damaging to the fruit itself than the actual diseases are. So fruits are a tough thing to to grow without using any pesticides at all, especially if you want perfect fruit. 
Uh, you have to lower your standards for <laughs> what you have for fruit. Uh, most people are happy to do that rather than use the pesticide sprays, but it's, it's really uh, a compromise with that. All right, we've got a break. More Smart Gardens coming up. Mary Meyer in studio today. Uh, by the way, our phone number is 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. Coming up out of the break, we'll go to the phone lines. Gene has been waiting. We'll go to Gene first. And then to the text line, we've got a ton of text to get to as well with Mary here on the CCO. It is 836 Smart Gardens. Mary Meyer in studio today. A lot of calls and a lot of texts. And we will be going to the text line here again very shortly. But let's go to the phone lines first. And uh, Gene's been waiting for a while. Gene, you're on the air with Mary. Hello? Yes, I have a question about irises. I have heard that if you planted white irises in your flower garden, it would eventually turn all the other colors white. Is that true? No, that isn't true. What happens with perennials sometimes when we see um, uh, flower color changes. It's one of two things. Uh, You can have something like flocks. Like I have a big white flocks called David. Well, uh, I have a lot of magenta flocks showing up in my garden. That's because they're seedlings from the David flocks and they revert to the, the parent plant, which is a magenta color. So if I let things go, the magenta would overtake that white uh, David uh, flocks. In the case of iris, it's the same. It could be some rhizomes are more healthy and more aggressive than others. Some are more susceptible to get iris borer. So the healthier, more vigorous plants over time, that color can predominate in your garden. So it's, it's really um, either seedlings come up that are more vigorous or plants that are the healthiest, uh, that color will predominate in your garden. But in the case of white iris, um, I don't think white iris or actually white flowered iris are more aggressive than the blue, the yellow, the purple, whatever. So uh, as long as you uh, manage any insect or disease problem that you have, manage the seedlings, the colors will maintain themselves. All right, to the phone lines again, let's go to Gloria in Cold Spring. Gloria, you're on the air with Mary Meyer. Yes, uh, we planted some uh, new tomato plants, and we planted them uh, next to like a raspberry bushes, or sham, uh, bushes, and uh, it seems like right next to that row, or even further, a little further away, the, something has ate the whole plant down. The tomato plant. Would it be rabbits or would it be like a cutworm? What would that have been? Or what could I do about it? I want to plant some other plants, some more tomato plants. Yes, I I, I think it might be uh, a, a, like a rabbit or some other um, uh, animal that's able to hide under the cover of the raspberries. So either the cover of the raspberries or somehow is giving that... Uh, predator more protection. So I'd carefully uh, look at that if you can. If there's any way you can uh, uh, fence it or block it off, I would try to do that. But uh, cutworms, if it's a cutworm, you'd actually see the uh, plant lying there. The cutworm will cut it off, eat part of it, but leave the stem there. There's nothing there at all for you to see, then it's some other type of wildlife that's eating it. But try to be more watchful, and if you can, put up some type of a barrier for the wildlife. All right. uh, Follow-up from the text line on tomatoes. Uh, My tomato plants are getting really tall already. Is it beneficial to top those off so they thicken up? 
Uh, how should you manage <laughs> yes, the Yes, managing tomatoes. Well, people have different philosophies on this. I don't do much of anything to cut off the growth on tomatoes. I let them go. There are two types of plants with tomatoes, indeterminate. That means they have uh, never-ending leaf buds up at the tops. They get growing taller, taller, taller. They'll be seven feet tall easily. Determinate tomato plants have flower buds at the terminal growth, so they be, they are shorter by nature, and those never get very uh, big and tall. They're about a third or half the size of the indeterminate ones. So different Different uh, cultivars have different growth habits. And um, if you have the two side by side, you can really see the difference. But it's really a personal preference whether or not you take the top of it off. Uh, All that foliage will be used to produce more uh, fruits. So I don't do pruning on tomatoes, but some people like to be more managing and like to be more in control of that plant. You often will get fewer but larger fruits when you do the pruning. Um, What about keeping tomato leaves off the soil? And trimming them up. Trimming them up. Yeah, I don't. I don't do that either because I want the plant to have as much uh, foliage as possible. We try to keep foliage dry, and the lower foliage when you're watering the plant that often gets splashed on. That's usually the first to get diseases. So the septoria leaf spot, uh, early and late blights that come on tomatoes. It's hard to grow tomatoes without those blights coming. This year, I haven't seen those yet on my tomatoes, but they will start to come in uh, once we get to July. So that foliage often dies on its own from disease problems. So, again, I don't prune the foliage off. All right, uh, let's go to May Lou and Crystal. May Lou, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, good morning. Um, I have a question about hail damage on my huge hostas and some begonias. We had hail um, here a couple weeks ago. Yes, hail damage, uh, really devastating. Often we see that on hostas, those large leaves, large uh, foliages. Uh, If it's shredded and brown unsightly, yes, you can cut that off. If there's still some green to photosynthesize, make food for the plant, you can trim that or, or leave it on. Many times a plant will outgrow and produce new foliage to compensate for what's been lost. You try never to cut off more than uh, two-thirds of the damaged foliage. So Michelle Grabowski, uh, one of my colleagues, wrote an article on After the Storm that's up online at the extension.umn.edu. Click on Garden website and look for After the Storm. So she has some recommendations there for trees as well as, uh, as uh, herbaceous plants. It is Smart Gardens, and it's brought to you by By the Yard. Denny Long is away. I'm Steve Thompson. Mary Meyer is in today. We've had a lot of great calls and a lot of great texts. And uh, let's go to the text line for a moment and get to a couple of things. Uh, earlier in the program, we bought, uh, brought up about uh, using uh, grass clippings around uh, vegetable plants in the garden, etc. cetera. Uh, but you want to make sure that you're not using uh, any weed killer on your turf because that'll end up in the garden and it is a bad thing. How long does that stay in the turf, if you will? In the grass itself, it's about a month, Uh actually. So it can be quite a while because most of the herbicides will be taken up 
by the plant, and so it has to work its way through the system. So it it really can take a while. And a lot of times it's the volatile chemicals that come off of the mulch, the grass uh, plants, as they're decomposing. So it's... Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's temporary in that if you do it one season, you won't see it next year at all, but it's certainly within the growing season, it can be impactful. Uh, another one from our text line, is it too late to plant seed crops such as carrots, et cetera? Uh, we're, it's, <laughs> use, we're getting right on the edge of it, so do it yeah. by the 4th of July. Yeah. Okay. yeah, carrots take a long growing season, so the peppers, anything that takes a long growing season, we have to get that in uh, as soon as possible. Shorter plants like uh, kale, uh, maybe even beets, certainly radishes, um, lettuces, those we have, we only need about 60 days for those to produce, so we have another uh, month that you can try to uh, seed those. Yeah, and usually with radishes, you can get a, a few crops in, one one in the spring. Yes, and- you can, and they like the cool. Yeah. Cool weather conditions, yep. Yeah, I, I've got a daughter that loves radishes. I, I could take them or leave them, but Good uh, for my, her. my youngest daughter <laughs> loves radishes. little salt, oh, You know, there, there, are, there are many different radishes you can grow. They're big ones, they're little ones, they're oblong, they're round. So, yeah, she could have a lot of fun. All right, uh, let's go to the uh, phone lines again. Let's bring in Gene in Mound. Gene, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, thanks. Uh, I had to park a uh, empty hot tub spa on my lawn while we did a little patio work. And now that I've moved it after three weeks, I've got a nice brown spot on the lawn, of course, uh, from where it got no light for those three weeks. Is that coming back with rain and sunshine or do I need to reseed? I think it's probably not going to come back. Uh, I'm not sure how long ago you moved the hot tub off. But within a week or 10 days, if you don't see it growing, then you know that it's dead. So you might have already passed that uh, timeline. So you need to uh, rake and uh, remove what you can of the uh, grass that's there. Once you have some uh, soil exposed, you can get that seed soil uh, contact that you need for seed germination. So I think three weeks uh, with the weather and the warmth that we had probably did uh, kill the grass that was under the hot tub. Thank you. All right. Appreciate the call once again. Uh, Smart Gardens here on CCO. Mary Meyer in studio. Uh, here's one from the text line. Uh, my yard is lined with tall pine trees. Uh, the The south end of the yard is lined with tall pine trees. The grass in front is very thin and has lots of moss in it. What can I do to keep the moss out? Well, really, if you really want the answer, the answer is cut down the pine trees and renovate your soil. So you probably don't want to do that. You know, that's just really the extreme thing is. But the reason that moss is growing there is the the uh, dry uh, competition with the roots of the trees that are there. It's just not a great little site for uh, turf grass to grow. So you, if you really don't like the moss, uh, the fine fescues are the grasses that will are the most tolerant of shade and um, competition with dry soil. So you could try removing the moss, uh, sowing fine fescue. Think of this as an annual job you have to do to, to improve that area. You should also think about maybe a ground cover in that area like Lamium, Pachysandra, Vinca, 
um, some of the uh, native geraniums or wild geraniums um, uh, and uh, cultivated perennial geraniums because those plants will withstand uh, the conditions and grow better. All right, we've got to take a break. More Smart Gardens with Mary Meyer coming up in a moment. It is 847 certified Cadillacs on sale up to 40% off the original MSRP. Check out McCarthyAuto.com today. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back one more time. Smart Gardens continue. Uh, Mary Meyer joins us. We'll have that great website one more time. We should throw it up before we yes, run out of time. It's extension.umn.edu and click on garden. All right. Uh, let's go to the phones. Let's bring in Mike. Mike, you're on the air with Mary. Hello. Hi, Mary. I'm having trouble with cabbage. I can't make it make balls, you know, like heads. And then I also have a question about hydrangeas. Hello? Yes, yes. So the cabbage making heads. Cabbage does prefer cool weather conditions, and occasionally we will have this problem when the conditions are quite uh, hot. I would just urge you to keep trying with cabbage as long as you have full sun and well-drained soil. Try to get a number of different varieties. And unfortunately, cabbage is often just sold in the garden center as cabbage, maybe green cabbage or red cabbage. But I would urge you to get a a number of different uh, types. Make sure that it um, is well-watered and spaced um, uh, uh, about a foot apart uh, to begin with, maybe uh, 18 inches, and um, just keep trying because cabbage is one of the easiest crops. There is one, uh, the the insects uh, that get on the roots, the root maggot, but that would be uh, the plant itself wouldn't grow. You would, you'd see something wrong. But failure to form heads is not that common a problem unless it's really hot, hot conditions. So uh, I would urge you to keep trying. And then the hydrangea, are you still there? I, I'm not sure what you were asking about hydrangeas. But the most common thing is is about pruning hydrangeas and um, pruning off old uh, flowers that are on hydrangeas or when to to prune them. And um, pruning is um, usually the biggest question, but it depends on what kind of hydrangea you have. All right, uh, let's go to Sorry, Sc- yeah. Scott in Bloomington. Scott, you're on the air. Hello. Well, hi, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I have two ash trees about 11 years old. One is seeded ash and one is a, a, a seedless ash. The seeded ash has been thriving this, the 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 uh, seedless ash is a very stunted. It's got three or four major scars on the bark, and uh, some of the major limbs are, uh, you know, are deteriorating and getting uh, getting brown. And I wanted to uh, is, is this stunted tree worth keeping? I treated them both with uh, insecticide, you know, to avoid ash borers. And uh, is this stunted tree worth keeping or repairing? That's uh, it's hard to say. When you say three to four major scars on the bark, it's it's unlikely that that plant is going to start to thrive. So it's really got to um, 
outgrow those. And with the threat of emerald ash borer, I would really question how much, uh, how many more resources you put into that tree. You can always call um, an, an, uh, a certified arborist and have them give you an estimate. Many of those will do that for no charge. But being that it's an ash, I would say that uh, I would, I'd consider planting something else, a totally different tree, uh, white pine, some of the uh, American elms that are disease-resistant, uh, many of the oaks and so on, I'd, I'd consider replacing it with a different tree. Yeah, it, it is amazing. The old Dutch elm and then uh, all those ash trees were planted. Hopefully we don't make mistakes like that again. That We, no, we create well, a little bit more variety. Yeah, those uh, both those trees are native trees, so we uh. do have a lot of them around the state. But many cities, like the city of Plymouth where I live, they're planting 16 different types of trees oh. now. Big variety. Yeah, and that, yeah. That, that is good to see. I, I'm old enough to remember all the beautiful elm trees lining the streets in Minneapolis and St. Paul once upon a time. Um, from our text line, any tips on getting rid of potato bugs? Uh, potato bugs uh, can be a big problem. So there are uh, insecticides that you can use for potato bugs. There are usually dusts that are applied to those. Um, that's um, a difficult problem to control without an insecticide. So if you have a lot of potatoes, uh, normally that's a significant problem, and you do have to treat that. Again, you can read the full history of that life cycle for the potato bugs. Uh, you, of course, could try hand-picking them off. That's usually not practical for large situations. Uh, we have time for maybe one more from the text line. I have a four-year-old hydrangea that gets uh, one blossom a season. What can I do to get more of those beautiful blossoms? Four years old. So full sun conditions are usually a requirement for hydrangeas. Sometimes they'll take a little bit of shade, but in your case, um, the growing conditions aren't good. I would recommend you have a soil test done. You can send the soil test into the university. The information's on our website there about how to have that done. Then you can see if you do need to correct it uh, for more fertilizer. But it sounds like the growing conditions may not be appropriate. Uh, four years old, I'd expect by now to have more flowers than that. So I'd start with a soil test. All right, uh, we are uh, flat out out of time. A lot of calls, a lot of texts on the program today. Uh, Mary, one more time, that great website. Yes, our wonderful extension website, extension.umn.edu. Click on Garden for answers to all your garden questions. What's wrong with my plant? What weed is this? What insect is this? should be a big help for all Minnesota gardeners. Outstanding. Enjoy the cool day. I plan to get a lot of work done. How about you? Yes, I do too. I do too. Great day for Pleasure to be here. Yeah, good to see you, Mary Meyer. Once again, uh, one of the great experts from the University of Minnesota Extension Service. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.